Chops TV. You will be chopped. Know what that means? Licking my chops. Today I will show you how to do a karate chop. Simply saying, no, he doesn't have the chops to do what it takes. New thing. I'm busting chops. Welcome to Chops TV, featuring Jennifer Lopez. Now here's Chops. Chops and J-Lo, another episode of Chops TV. Jumping right into it because they dropped today. If you're listening to this on the first day that this episode dropped, it would be yesterday. But Oscar nominations for the 2024 year are out. And I would say I have a few questions at the very least and one huge gripe. You, similar boat when you saw them, you actually alerted me of them first. I didn't realize they were coming out today until, boom, they were just here. Yeah, I said, panic, panic, all hands on deck, Oscar nominations on a route, report to your superior officer. Um, But yeah, no, definitely some questions. <laughs> Let's just start with, you know, the big ticket items are best director, best picture, best actress, best actor, best supporting actor, best supporting actress, right? Mm-hmm. That's what we can all agree on. Those are the ones we really care about i'm interested when other ones win for other reasons but it's not like i'm sitting here like pretending to be an expert on cinematography cinematography, yeah and sound design if that's even one yeah i think like best adapted screenplay is one that i can kind of get interested in most years but really it's the big ticket items that the ones that not only are we the most interested in who's going to win and even who's nominated but more importantly Who's not, which I think is just the bigger one that you feel right away because you end up, I think I have a a pretty good handle on objectively watching a movie and knowing whether or not it's good or bad. But that doesn't change the fact that once I have gotten to the point where I know a movie's good, or at least think a movie's good, I know whether or not I like it more (laughs) and whether or not I think it should be up for more awards. And that's where we're at. So we'll start with the best picture. They few years ago you know increased that so it's it's up to 10 and they did the full 10 today american fiction anatomy of a fall barbie the holdovers killers of the flower moon maestro oppenheimer past lives poor things the zone of interest we've seen barbie the holdovers killers of the flower moon maestro and oppenheimer so we've seen half of them already not a bad start yeah that's a, a good and Probably three of the five are, were already like, oh, yeah, I definitely want to see that. And we'd already seen, you know, other awards come out. But what stands out to you first when you saw the Best Picture nominees? Or do you think that list is pretty complete for you this year? Nominees are fine because we know who's going to win. It's going to be Oppenheimer. Yeah, I mean, essentially, we're just talking about, like, honorable mentions at this point, right? So, but I mean, besides Iron Claw for you, obviously... Was not in there. I'm trying to think something else. I, probably Saltburn for a lot of people is missing, but I don't think that's a best picture worthy. Nomination. No, not quite. I'm really glad The Holdovers made it because I was really yeah. impressed with that movie. I thought that was probably one of the best written movies of the year as far mm-hmm. as like the spoken dialogue between the characters. Um, so I'm, I'm happy with that. A big thing that comes up on in the sports world is when they announce the Pro Bowl or the NBA All-Stars, whatever. People always go, oh, this guy got snubbed. This guy should have been on the team. Other people, I don't know. It's kind of nerdy to like astutely point it out because they do it every time. And it's like, yeah, people are just upset. They're fans of people. But in a way, I agree with it that if you're going to call something a snub, well, there's only so many spots. There's only 10 spots. Yeah. So if you're going to call something a snub, then what should be taken out? I already posted a TikTok about this shortly after I saw these nominations. The Iron Claw should be in there, and Maestro should definitely not. It is a ridiculous, self-serving project of Bradley Cooper wanted to get Oscar nominations. He wrote, direct, and starred, which is a normally a terrible combination and results in sometimes the worst of actors and directors and writers all combining into one because you're in charge of all of the three main important factors to it. So no, I am not here for Maestro to be nominated. I don't think Leonard Bernstein and his relationship with his wife is something that people were clamoring for or interested in, and yet he still went the stupid biopic route where he's like, I'm going to look and sound the most like him yeah, as possible. I think that's like, where are you a he, good actor or not? That's where he went the most wrong, I think, making it a biopic because even if that wasn't his intention, it came off as so, like... Oscar Beatty self-important. Um, I think 
weirdly enough, one of the only people that can juggle it well, writing, directing, and starring, is Ben Affleck, which, like, wild. But he can do it. Is it because Ben Affleck is so disaffected with the world at this point that he just doesn't take himself that seriously that he can do it? Because he's like, I know how to make a movie, so I'll just do it. Well, here's the thing about Ben Affleck. I'll get some Duncan (laughs) and make the movie. Well, he... Ben Affleck knows how to make a great movie, and he knows how to make a really bad fucking movie too so i think him him at the helm is like much better the pro again also a passion project clearly clearly a passion project for bradley cooper so that's great don't put all your eggs in one basket for nine years i don't know what the fuck to tell you well to be fair no it worked and actually that's the worst part about it to me is like the academy you keep getting duped by this bullshit like stop it these are not the best movies of the year. These mm-hmm. movies that people put out that are clearly made to just solicit to the Academy to get nominated. Nobody even wanted this movie. They threw it onto Netflix and it just kind of appeared one day. It didn't, it, no, there was no buzz. There was really nothing until the award stuff started coming out. Yeah. And people started talking about it. Some people criticized the giant nose prosthetic that he put on and said two things about it. One, he didn't have to do that. And two, he could have just not cast himself as the star and cast an actual Jewish actor yeah. to do it. Either way, bad choice. But for some reason, Maestro's getting all these nominations. I'm pretty fired up about this because I think The Iron Claw is a really good movie that is going to have staying power that people are going to like from years on. Maestro will be one of those ones when we look back on the 2024 Oscars in 10 years, everybody will be like, why the hell was that there? I don't even remember this movie. We're talking about you, Crash. <laughs> yes, or... The artist freaking won. The artist, yeah. Wow, in black yeah. and white silent film. Like, okay. But that one at least was like, yeah, we know. Hollywood loves to talk about Hollywood. So yeah. that one makes it. But overall, I think the Best Picture nominations were good. My my favorite of the ones nominated are The Holdovers and Killers of the Flower Moon. I think Oppenheimer will win. I really like Barbie, too. Mm. Oppenheimer is better than Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah. Yeah. I need to rewatch Oppenheimer. It's been a while. I think just as a collective piece. The problem with Killers of the Flower Moon, it's not a total sum of its parts, I think. Which I think we'll see with the rest of the nominations here for actor and Yeah. I think I can I I could get behind that, but I did really enjoy Killers of the Flower Moon. No, I really liked it too. I really liked it too. It's just not Oddly enough, I mean they're both roughly the same length, but Killers of the Flower Moon is about a half an hour longer. I probably would enjoy Oppenheimer more the second time than I would watching Killers of the Flower Moon and dedicating myself to that three yeah. and a half hours again. Yeah. I think it was a really good experience the first time in a theater, but I don't know if I'm ready to dive back into three and a half hours of Killers of the Flower Moon. Well, the thing with Oppenheimer, too, there's so much like historical basis for it, just like with Killers of the Flower Moon. But there's also the element of um, like not time switching, but there is that storytelling element to it where like we're in this period then we're in this period and it's sort of affecting everything else and you know so it's i think it's a little bit more interesting on a rewatch than killers of the flower moon because we're really just getting the story given to us which is fine i mean that's storytelling whatever but it does a similar thing where it flips the a little bit the kind of movie it is because it turns into like a detective drama but it is still yeah in that linear fashion it just tells the story yeah but that's the only reason why i would think that maybe on a rewatch because on paper, I think they're very similar films in, like, the fact that it's period, historical, uh, like, m- questions of morality, stuff like that. Parts yeah. of it are in black and white, which yeah. I think Oppenheimer lands the plane on. It makes sense why they did black and white. Some of it's a little hard to dissect, but remember Maestro starts in black and white? And it's just like, what the fuck? Why? I'm really upset about this. Okay. Which is why Bradley Cooper for Maestro... Out of here, Zach Efron for The Iron Claw should be nominated over him. See, I think maybe, again, I haven't seen this movie, but I have a sneaking suspicion that Andrew Scott should have been in there for All of Us Strangers and not Bradley Cooper. You love Andrew Scott. I do fucking love him. I don't really know much about Rustin and have obviously, I don't That's know, I've not one. seen it, but I yeah. do like Coleman Domingo as, yeah. a, as an actor. Um, Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers, Killian Murphy in Oppenheimer, and Jeffrey Wright in American Fiction. American Fiction, definitely one of those ones that's like top of our list that, that we want to see right now. Again, I think Killian Murphy's going to take this one. My pick, even if Zac Efron was in this, would probably be Paul Giamatti in The Holdovers. For Best Actor? Mm-hmm. 
without with with Killian Murphy too. With Killian Murphy, yeah. Yeah, no, it's Killian Murphy. Oh, okay. You can. I I don't know. I've cooled on Oppenheimer as time has gone on. It has not impressed well, me on like as it's marinated in my head as much as it did I will coming say, right out of it. The only thing that you might so you might have a leg to stand on here only in the fact that Robert Downey Jr. might be the best performance in that movie and he's also nominated for best supporting actor. Yeah, well that I mean Killian Murphy's in best actor so they, I they know, don't have to but, fight against each other but it would be weird if somehow that your best oh, supporting actor if that award yeah. is split I think it would be more appropriate that Robert Downey got it over Killian Murphy mm-hmm. but I also agree with you that I think Killian Murphy is going to win. Oppenheimer is going to clean house at this year's Oscars yeah. everybody just just so you know. Uh while we're on best supporting actor you, you mentioned Robert De Niro or I'm not sorry Robert Downey Jr. and Oppenheimer Robert De Niro Nominated for Killers of the Flower Moon. That one might be more of a career achievement. Like, hey, it's Robert De Niro. Throw him in there. Leo's not in there. That's for sure. Yeah. Sterling. If they had to pick one. Probably. Yeah. Sterling K. Brown in American Fiction. Ryan Gosling in Barbie. And Mark Ruffalo in Poor Things. So as we're looking at it, Ryan Gosling and Barbie being nominated is fine. It's not. That's not the, the big deal. Best actress in a leading role, though, is where we run into an issue that really everybody has already picked up on because it was immediately yeah. obvious. Annette Benning in Nyad, which is sure. like kind of new on the scene. I don't know much about it, but Annette Benning's a good actress, so maybe, sure, I haven't seen the movie. Lily Gladstone, really glad she got the nomination. She's she gonna was win. Probably the best performance in Killers of the Flower Moon. She's going to win. Sandra Hewler in Anatomy of a Fall. Have not seen that one yet. Carrie Mulligan in Maestro. Fine. I don't have as much disdain for Carrie Mulligan from Maestro, but I still not a fan. As I do, because I have some disdain about it. And Emma Stone in Poor Things. So who are you taking out to put Margot Robbie in the best lead actress Carrie category? Mulligan. Maestro, get the fuck out of here. Again, I still don't know a lot about Poor Things, and I will be watching it for the Oscars. Um, Lily Gladstone is just like the emotional hinge of that movie and without her it kind of falls apart like if you i mean you could obviously have sympathy for the osage nation and like what those women went through but like the anger at the portrayal really hinges on her performance us like falling in love and you know deeply deeply caring about this woman and like the fucking rigmarole that these white men are putting her through yeah i I thought it was an amazing performance from her as well and yeah you're right she does carry the movie she's the most important performance in it i don't know especially because there's not that many native american actresses that are available like i think that other people martin scorsese could have gone into his rolodex and pulled out other white guys to play leo's role to play robert de niro's role mm-hmm. to play jesse plemons role as the detective lily gladstone was in, like instrumental to making sure that this movie worked as good as it did then we get to best uh, best director while we're there because that also is this one might go to Martin over Christopher Nolan. This is one where I think Oppenheimer mm-hmm. has its biggest competitor. One because of who Martin Scorsese is. That's true. It's a huge epic. It is really well shot. It's shot on location out there in the Oklahoma. Has he area. ever won before? He has to. Have. I mean, I, I know. I mean, when did when? Sorry, let me phrase. When did he last win? Well. I Goodfellas maybe did he win for The Departed like he's Martin Scorsese like that's here why don't you yeah, look it up and but he's Christopher I will... Nolan right he's Christopher Nolan but I don't know when the last time he won oh I don't was. think Nolan's ever won well there you go I think you just answer your own question then yeah but Martin Scorsese's been making movies for 50 years Christopher Nolan's only been making movies for 25 <laughs> that's that's a big difference that's... yes but if we're talking about career achievements he he already has an Oscar Christopher yeah. Nolan is this might be his magnum opus I don't know. It's also like the least Nolan-y of all the movies, but he does. They do. They did set off a real bomb and film that. That's pretty impressive from a directorial standpoint. But that for me, those are the the two. It's through. But that's because I haven't seen Anatomy of a Fall or Poor Things or The Zone of Interest, which all their directors are also nominated for it. Um, and I don't know. Will they ever get Oppenheimer fatigue throughout all of it and decide to give it to somebody else? Hmm. I don't think so. I think it's got enough steam to carry it to the end. Do you think the omission that people were talking about in Greta Gerwig 
is a big deal. And my question yes. then would be if you, I do think it's a big deal too, but who are you taking out? It's hard to say because three of the five I've not seen. Yeah. And God, what the director of the zone of interest was that? Justine Triet. Yeah. So I hate to say it this way because I think that's the only international film in it. Nominated? No, no, because... Well, Poor Things, I think, is... Is Poor Things International? Anatomy of Fall is international. Uh, any, anyway, that doesn't really matter. Um, the only reason, because I, I, I just don't know what that movie is, so that's the one that I would take out, probably. But um, Greta Gerwig, I don't give a shit. She deserves to be in there, even if it's not the best movie of the year. It did more... Greta Gerwig did more for movies this year than anybody... At the Oscars, okay? If we're talking about, like, cultural impact, she did it. It's a very clear indication that the Oscars is not taking seriously their mantra, that they are starting to consider the movies that are more popular to the masses and hopefully bring them into the awards scene. Now, all they did was double the size of the, the best film category so that they could include a Barbie so that they could include a Black Panther but they don't t- they still don't take those movies seriously they no. don't care Barbie's they don't- Barbie is best adapted screenplay so they can nominate Barbie for something else and Barbie is best adapted screenplay because it's based on the toy Barbie which is also like they have to get over that no. sequels are not adapted screenplays a character that exists somewhere else but you're not actually telling the story that already exists it's not an adapted no. screenplay that's not what that means no. best screenplay from source material it sounds so similar no, though it's just a fucking cop out is what it is like top gun was nominated last year top gun maverick and it's like adapted from top gun then, what does that even mean no. this is circular logic yeah but yeah, they're not taking it seriously. Barbie was the cultural moment of the year in conjunction with Oppenheimer for sure. Yeah. But I don't have to complain about that because Oppenheimer was nominated in basically every, every single category. Correct, right. As far as Oppenheimer in another category, the last of the big ticket items for us, Best Actress in a Supporting Role, Emily Blunt in Oppenheimer, Danielle Brooks in The Color Purple, America Ferreira in Barbie, Jodie Foster in Nyad, and... Uh, Divine Joy Randolph in The Holdovers. I've actually heard from some people that they think... uh, Brooks, I've heard... No, uh, Joy Randolph in The Holdovers is the favorite for it. So she's the favorite for it, but the the Brooks from The Color Purple is also... She's gaining a lot of steam right now. Well, that that didn't come out until December. The Mm -hmm. Holdovers was a late release, too. But yeah, that's... uh, And then America Ferrera for Barbie... Fine, but fucking what? Okay, so I've jotted this. How does Margot Robbie not get? (laughs) I just jotted this down the notes. Uh, It okay. Let's say even if to to give her a better shot at winning, you say okay, it really is like a co-led movie, which it's fucking not. But okay, fine. So you put Margot Robbie in Best Supporting Actress, or you put her up for that. Putting American Ferrera in for a monologue drives me fucking nuts we have to stop doing this giving away prizes for acting good in a scene that's like your fucking job bare minimum okay like wouldn't wouldn't it be so funny if they don't show a portion of that scene for america ferrera like during like the oscar moment they show like something else yeah just something random from the movie sketches or whatever ridiculous no this i mean it's giving me laura dern flashbacks laura dern should not have one if you could do me a favor pull up the list of uh god what was that year 2019 maybe 2020 of the best actresses Laura Dern should not have fucking won for being in that movie for 10 goddamn minutes. And I, I, I'm i going to die on that hill. We should not be giving out awards to Judy Dench for being on screen for three minutes as Queen Elizabeth and having four fucking lines. I mean, yeah, just look at the other, like how much more these actresses had to pull these movies and actually be a part of them yeah. than Laura Dern did win that year for the 2020 Oscars for Marriage Story. Kathy Bates in Richard Jewell. Richard Jewell was nominated. Scarlett Johansson and Jojo Rabbit, which she's oh the, my god, she's the main adult actor in that movie. It's a children, and then Taika Waititi, you know, like a cartoon version of Hitler. It's yeah, uh, Florence Pugh in Little Women. Oh my god, and Margot Robbie in Bombshell. Hey, she got nominated that year, so that's good. Good job, <laughs> Academy. No, they almost need to. 
extend another category and give best actor and best actress for like almost a guest role. They yeah. did that in the Emmys because television shows are a lot different. Like, but people can get nominated for just showing up in one episode of a television show, and they almost need that, like a scene based best cameo or some yeah, shit. Yeah, like there has to be some sort of stipulation for what supporting actress means, and it's not just lead actress and every other actress in the movie is considered supporting because yeah, it's not true. It's not true. There are levels to this shit. <laughs> well, because. Um, Alec Baldwin won for the speech in Glengarry Glen Ross, the always be closing speech. Mm-hmm. That's it. He's only in that scene. He's not in anything else in that movie. It's ridiculous. It's a great speech. And I don't have a problem that the Academy wanted to recognize it, but why not just and look, I'm come up not, with another category for I'm it? I'm not on the anti-feminist train, okay? I'm not trying to, like, you know, yuck anyone's yum. or You know what I mean? It's just that is not the right thing to do. If you were going to nominate America Ferreira, honestly, take her out and put somebody else in from a different movie. That's how I feel about it. I I don't even have a substitute, but I know that someone else should be in there and it, not. It, it's so funny, Ferreira. too, because it's like, well, you guys didn't nominate Greta Gerwig or Margot Robbie. So did you actually listen to America Ferreira's monologue? In the it's movie? So, it's just it's just too like comical and easy to point that out, but it's it. crazy. It is. It really is. And Especially that Ryan Gosling got nominated. Also, part of the criticism of the film was that it was very Kench-centric for a Barbie film. And and Ryan Gosling in that role is truly singular in the way that he can play aloof, but also like, you know, what's the word I'm looking for? Just like the way that he is so well he's almost like childlike he's like naive but he's also he's speaking so confidently throughout especially once he goes through and finds out what the real world is like or Mm -hmm. thinks he finds out what the real world is like it's not exactly that accurate but it's a little accurate yeah he comes in and he just like acts like oh now i know everything but you can still see the immaturity in the character i mean i'm not gonna say that he steals every scene that he's in but it's not wrong that he was nominated for actor no. in a supporting role. No, it's wrong that he was nominated and everyone else wasn't. Yeah, well, except for America Ferrera for yeah for yeah. some reason. Uh, the other one I did see as far as supporting actor goes, a lot of people wanted Charles Melton for May December yeah. in there, and I think he probably was the best performance in that movie. But there are some people who seem to really like May December, and maybe I'm guilty of this with the Iron Claw too. But I do not think May December deserved to be all over these nominations. You know what I'm finding the the deeper online I immerse myself. Yeah. Um. That May December, unfortunately, I hate to say it this way, really was for like the girlies. Like. Yeah, I the, told you it was a lifetime movie with a higher budget and better actresses. Yes, but the the campaign for Charles Melton really was crowdsourced by the girlies. You know what I mean? I don't think very many men watched May December. I don't think so either. Like, I mean, obviously people who like movies and are into it would, but I'm would not check e- out that movie. But like I'm normal, not- like just like, hey, what's on Netflix tonight? I don't think I'm very not- many men turn on May December. And I'm not even saying just women. I I mean, really, really like hyper focused on that age group that like watched him in like Riverdale, I think, or whatever okay. fucking show he was in. We're like, this is his moment. He's going to get an Oscar, blah, blah, blah. And I, I do agree. I think he should be nominated. But the, like the fervor the, that, I, that I'm that i finding for that performance and for May, December is really coming from a very, very small group of And girls. I don't want this to sound condescending or insulting, but if people are that into May, December and that young, I don't know if they understood the movie. That sounds a little condescending. I know it does, but... <laughs> That's how I feel. It's not a, It's not that great of a movie. It was fine. It was okay. It's a, it's a good movie. It did not deserve to be up for Best Picture. No. Natalie Portman and no. uh, Julianne Moore did not deserve to be nominated for their performances either. No. I, and so I think, there's, I think there is some fandom with Charles Melton, but I wouldn't have been mad had he been nominated. I think he was the best performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. All right. So that's the Oscars. We'll try to get caught up on all the movies before the Oscars come out, and we'll let you know what we think of the actual order of the top ten there for Best Picture. This I saw today. It was pretty big news in the sports world, but then definitely infiltrates into what we've been talking about, both on the podcast and off the podcast. WWE Monday Night Raw has struck a deal with Netflix 
for Netflix to be the sole provider of their live Monday Night Raw all year long starting next year in January. And it's one, it's a 10 year, $5 billion deal with an, uh, an option to do another 10 years on top of that, which Netflix definitely has a ton of staying power and I'm not worried about it, but a 10 year deal, like 10 years in attaching yourself, even to USA, which is owned by Universal, which has NBC behind it. Like that's very different than attaching yourself to a streamer. HBO Max seemed like the best streamer and all of a sudden it's Max. What happens yeah. if that happens and you have a 10 year deal? Yeah, with it's them? so volatile, the streaming sector, that I can't believe that they hitched their wagon 10 years. Well, only one of their products. They did, you know, because SmackDown still exists, yeah. and that'll still be, is it still on Fox, or did that deal fall apart? I can't remember what's going on with SmackDown. They're in the middle of stuff. The The same people who did, like, Live Golf, like, the PIF fund for, like, the Saudis were trying to buy WWE as well, but I think that fell through. There's do a lot you, going on with them. Do you think it's trying to, they're trying to, like, kick off a resurgence, a renaissance, if you will, of, like, wrestling? I think maybe that would be the WWE's plan is that nobody's watching USA Network anymore. And so people are on Netflix and there might be people who catch a Monday Night Raw and say, yeah, I'll watch this. Well, there seems to be an interest on Netflix's part. I mean, they did have Glow, right? I think Netflix's part is more to just get into the sports world because they've been Mm. slow playing it for a while. They did the Formula One and the golf documentaries, but they haven't had a live sport. And Peacock and Prime especially, those two, have proven that... While people get upset about it, streaming live sports can be okay. The Thursday night football games on Prime are, are doing just fine. And it's rating lucrative. Wise. 20 plus million people watched the the Chiefs uh, wild card game on Peacock. And yeah, it's the, it's the way that they're going to make money because no movie that you put out on Peacock or even Netflix for that matter is going to get 20 million people in one day yeah. to watch it. And that one, you just get to put the commercials in because it's already built into the broadcast of a football game, which is what they're all trying to do anyways. But it goes back to my point that we said a few weeks ago. Netflix is winning the streaming wars right yeah. now. And it's not even particularly close. I think the only one that's close is probably Amazon. But Amazon doesn't have a very good catalog. Yep. Hey, don't call it a comeback. It the whole password thing it worked. We've talked about it, it before. It worked on it, us. It makes me sick. It makes me sick, but it worked. So now the other streamers have proof of concept that watching live sports will work on a streamer. Netflix is getting into. I understand that you know predetermined wrestling. It's not exactly the most you know true sport, but still athletes doing something, and it's a live event. So just showing that you have the capabilities and the the infrastructure to handle all that with the cameras and the directors and you're in an arena and it's a different arena every week and handling all that. And I'm sure the WWE already has a ton of that infrastructure. So that also probably helps with the partnership that Netflix isn't going to have to probably bring in their own cameras and everything for it. Same similar with like the NFL, but once you get into the other sports, you're kind of more on your own, like um, college basketball is on Peacock right now. And that's probably a lot of NBC, but NBC already has a sports division. So Netflix, I think, is going to slow play it. But if this works out, get ready for sports to be on Netflix. And we were talking about this on Bishop and Friends today. The next thing that needs to happen, and it's been happening slowly, some smart TVs will do it for you that you can search and access all of your apps at once. But Netflix or Amazon, and Amazon's already further along with it, really need to ramp up the introduction of one-stop shop for all of your accounts. You can log into your Netflix. You can log into your Macs. You can log into your Apple. You can log in, obviously, to Prime. You can log into Stars. You watch Stars on there because of Outlander. Correct. Yeah, so we need to get that. And that way, because especially with sports, people do still really like flipping when it comes to sports. And there needs to be that option where you can click down or over or whatever. And if you're watching a college football game, here are all the other college football games on services that you are logged into. Also, the Quidditch World Cup. Is it like a real, like the one where the guys run around holding the broom between their legs and stuff? It's live sports. There's a market for it. Quidditch is not a real sport because the snitch is worth too many points. Okay, okay, okay. Next topic. <laughs> Next topic. <laughs> Last thing uh, this week. It was our anniversary this week. We've been married three years already. I didn't mean is to say it? already. I was going to say, is that it? <laughs> God. But we decided, okay, well, what would be fun to kind of incorporate with that? We went out to dinner last night and we were discussing and we said, well, what if we did something fun? We haven't done like kind of a, a list 
argue, see what the other person said in a while. So we're doing two top five couples in either TV shows or movies, and then the top five wedding movies. This one you can get a little creative with, but you want the at the very least the title to have something to do with a wedding. Upwards of even like was it? it was like best man holiday. Like that's not on my list, but that would count. Mm-hmm. That I would be fine with yeah. that. Let's start with couples. I actually struggled with couples more than I thought I would because I realized that movies are more about couples getting together right at the end or splitting apart. Splitting up, yeah. Or they're like in the background. Like there's parents and they seem like a nice couple, but they're not really that important characters. It's, you know, a, a, the teenager is doing the movie. Um, and so I lean TV a little bit more than I thought I was going to at first. Let's start with your number five. Oh, God. I think I'm about to change it again. You've been changing it all day? In real time, yeah. Okay. This is what we call a live flip when we're picking games against the number on uh, Bishop and Friends. Okay, so, live, so live flip. flip. I'm going to do Anthony and Kate Bridgerton from season two of Bridgerton. I don't have a ton to give you on that one. <laughs> Take my it's... word for it. I know. that might. Are be they an, married? Um, yes, they're married okay. now. Um might be an unpopular opinion because people like that season one couple, but um, if you have to know one thing about me, I'm a slut for enemies to lovers. And that is like the most well done enemies to lovers that I've seen in a really long time. So as you, you will get into it also in this list, it's apparent that I that I favorite. What I swung out at five, Hot Priest and Fleabag. Ah, uh, well, they never get married, so that wouldn't even count. No, but they're a couple still. Did we? I guess I wrote down top five couples. I went for marriage though specifically. I guess I just put that rule on myself. Yeah. Okay. Well, then is, I no, that's fine. Though, so well, okay, fine. yeah, and it's it's fine. It's not that big a deal. We just wrote these down. These are just couples that we like in movies and TV shows. I'll do my five and four here to keep it moving. Debbie and Pete from Knocked Up and This Is Forty, played by Paul Rudd oh, and yeah. Leslie Mann. I think they're a really cool representation of a real married couple. They're they're bickering, they're fighting, they're not getting along, but you can tell they really love each other. They have the, the kids together. They're working through it. They're a good example sometimes for the, the main characters in Knocked Up and other times not. This is 40 is a movie that I would agree with this. People point out that it's a bit too long, but I still like that one. Great pick, bit. though, because you get to see them at different points in their marriage. Yeah. Like in their lives. We were a repeat couple. I like that. That was a good pick by you. For four, I put this one I'm not so sure about, but I had a hard time coming up with another one. I wanted another movie one, and it's weird because the it's one of those. The movie ones are harder than the yes. TV ones. So you kind of have to go for ones that have sequels, but the problem is when you have sequels and these characters go on, well, the characters have to be doing something. They can't just be happily married, so they kind of split up at a certain point, but Gail Weathers and Officer Dewey from the Scream franchise. Have a ton of sexual tension the entire time they're around. They help take down Ghostface multiple times, including in the third movie that ends with him proposing. Then 11 years later, Scream 4 comes out and it's clear that they're on the rocks. And I don't even think they're together in Scream 5. So specifically, Gail Weathers and Officer Dewey from Scream 2 to the end of Scream 3. Okay. My number four, should I do four and three then? Yes. Four is April and Andy from Parks and Rec. They were strong consideration for me, but because of another one I included, I didn't want to include them. If it's the other one. It's not also from Parks and Rec. Oh, uh, okay. But it's from that world of television makers. If, I, I strongly, think you know where I'm going now. Yeah. I strongly considered uh, Ben and Leslie, but I like the dynamic of April and Andy because it just reminds me of us so much. It's definitely a lot closer to us than uh, Leslie and Ben. Yeah. You still get that. Like I don't know. I just really like them as a couple... April is very supportive of Andy's dreams and endeavors, and Andy loves April just the way that she is. Yeah, they are not people that try to like quell down the weirdness of no. their partner at all. No. They they revel in it and encourage it for the most part. Yeah, the like the closest Ra- uh, uh, not Rachel. What's her name? Um, April. The closest April gets to like trying to change Andy is like when she's like, "You have to go to all the doctors because you haven't been to the doctor in." <laughs> 10 years, which you kind of did with me. Actually. But she cares about him. And then she explained, she's just like, I just want you to be around for as long as possible because I love you that much. It's and, very sweet. And your number three? Uh, Mr. and Mrs. Incredible. Oh, that's a great one. Yeah, it was pretty good. It yeah. was pretty good. For for the obvious reasons, pretty much what you said about uh, your number f- five pick. Yeah, Debbie and Pete. Yeah. You get to see them hash out what it means to be working parents. 
while also trying to find your own identity as an adult too. So um, yeah, great couple. Great and couple. also trying that with that identity, yeah, because they're like leaving behind their original identity, partly because of the superhero thing, but partly because they've become parents. Yep. And you, you, your life changes when you become parents. I wouldn't know that. I don't have any kids. I hate kids. Uh, I'll do my three <laughs> and two here. I think you'll like this one. Rick and Evelyn O'Connell. Does that ring any bell for you? No. The Mummy. Brendan Fraser Damn. and Rachel Vise. Wow. They Interesting pull. They end up with a kid. They they just go on adventures together. They bring the kid along to the adventures. She's super smart. He's a swashbuckler. He takes care of her in certain moments. She takes care of him you by don't have being to able to open it. the book. Yeah. It's a great couple. Yeah. Then uh, they're so hot. They're stupid hot. Oh, yeah. So. The late 90s, Brendan Fraser and Rachel Vise. Yeah. Ooh, yeah. I'm good, into it. Good pick. Number two for me, this might be an upset. You might think this would be in my number one spot, but Jim and Pam on The Office. And I know there are some people who don't like Jim and Pam. They think Jim is actually kind of a jerk. He bought the house without talking to her about it. Unforgivable. He bought the house from his parents. He didn't like go through a whole thing. Worse. Unforgivable. If I bought my parents' house, what if I even talked to you about it? And would you ever be okay with buying my parents' house? I don't know. It's weird a little. It's we'd a almost, little weird. We'd almost like have to take out the wall between my room, my childhood room, and my brother's yeah. childhood room and make, make that, that the master bedroom. Well, it's also weird because like it's hard to make the home your own then. You know what I mean? There are already so many memories. And like part about building a family and branching out is building your own memories. Mm-hmm. What? And then I have to... Get Thanksgiving going, and then your mom walks in. She's like, actually, that's not how you use that oven. Okay, I love you. Get the fuck out of here. You know what I mean? Like, it would be way too much stress. Okay, and uh, you're number two, and then we'll both do our number ones. All right, I'm going to get into my my real period girl drama uh, bag. Um, Claire and Jamie from Outlander. Sure. Claire What about Mr. Darcy and... Well, did I just... (laughs) (laughs) Damn it! Spoiled again! To be fair, I don't know what Keira Knightley's name is in the movie. It's Elizabeth. Okay, but anyway, so Claire and Jamie. Claire literally transcends time and space to find this man again and again. Like, there is nothing more romantic than that. Well, apparently there is, because that's your number two. (laughs) Well, sure. Sure. But that's just because they're not my, they're not like my absolute favorite couple. But if I didn't have another one, they would be my number one. So Outlander is more romantic than Pride and Prejudice. That's what you're saying to me. I'm just saying the lengths that she goes to to be with him, fair and, enough, and build a life together. Like I mean, that is the ultimate sacrifice, the ultimate romance. All right, and, and your number one since we're already right on it. Let's yeah, just Elizabeth throw it out there. and Elizabeth and Darcy. I'm sorry I stepped on your toes there. Would you like an opportunity to steal mine? I will give you a hint. It's a TV show. It's a TV show. It's a TV show we have talked about on this podcast. Oh, I think they're in my honorable mentions. Taylor. Tammy and and Eric Taylor. Taylor. That's That's a good pull, though. That's a good one. That's probably the best example of like a real life marriage because you got so many years with them. And then just the it takes him a while because he is not great at it all the time. He's really good at it sometimes. He's really bad at it. At other times, she's mostly good, like all the time. Well, um, he's so selfish. Yeah, because he's in because he's so he's one one guy. track mind. Yeah. He's a football coach, but he eventually now he's still a football coach, but he gives it up to move up to Philadelphia so she can become a dean of one of the colleges. And he at can that still university. be a coach. So I mean, good for him. Good pick. Good list. Mine's better, but there we have it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I I I struggled with the couples a little bit. I did know the worst married couple in any movie or TV show ever is Dennis Reynolds and Maureen Ponderosa. <laughs> she turns herself into a cat, and then he's accused of knocking her off, off. the roof and yeah. killing her. But he claims he didn't do it. But they're like, well, how would a cat fall? Why would a cat fall off the roof? Cats are on roofs all the time. He's like, she's not a cat. Um, can I say my honorable mentions? Of course. Buffy and Angel. Love them. Uh, Princess uh, Buttercup. No, Princess Bubblegum and Marceline from Adventure Time. Wesley and Buttercup from The Princess Bride. And it feels As like you, you need to put... Wish. Yeah, it feels like you need to put Ali and Noah from The Notebook on there. But 
Yeah, no, that didn't pop into my head. I found that was the hard part for me is not that I haven't seen romance movies, but they don't stand out as like my favorite. And so I was thinking like through some of my favorite movies, you know, my all time favorite movie is The Social Network, which is very much not about finding mm-hmm. a, a, a partner yeah. at all. He, In fact, the first scene is him breaking up with a girl who ends up hating him after the scene, not as the movie goes on, just right then and there. She just decides, yeah, I fucking hate this guy. And she was right. To hate him yeah. as well. Please, aside, please don't destroy us on Facebook algorithm if we get on there. Aside from the last switch, the the last second switch, I was pretty confident in my top five. And I just have a lot of couples that I like. The movies were harder for me, for sure. Okay. I think the movies were easier for me. I think you did win the couples. I'm fine with giving you that. I'll start for the movies since I feel better about this one. Number one, four weddings and a funeral. Fuck. That was on my... That was on my short list. Or sorry, number five, the first one on the list. But okay. yeah, F- Four Weddings and a Funeral. I've only really sat down and watched it once, but you've got Hugh Grant. You've got Annie McDowell. Great. It's movie. great. It's yeah. hilarious. It's heartwarming. It hits all the notes. It's British. It's British. <laughs> all right, you're five and four. Um, <laughs> Five and four. Wedding Planner. Yeah. The Great. Jennifer Lopez. I, I, to help me out a little bit, to jog my memory, I did look up like movies about weddings, and that one showed up, and I was like, I assume that's going to be on Jen's list. For sure. Number four, underrated fave, Father of the Bride. Love that fucking movie. Father of the Bride is great. It's a favorite of my mom, so I used to watch it on like cable a bunch. You when it's just on, have it on. They, that, I swear to God, that movie stayed on TNT, okay? Yeah. You would turn it on at a random time, Father of the Bride would be on, I'm sat and I'm watching it. Steve Love Martin it. and Martin Short together has been electric for 50 years. They're still making stuff together with only murders in the building and it's still awesome stuff so yeah i love that one as your number four my number four and number three are uh mm, this is the one i have to push out because i decided both of these were in contention for number five and i guess i made the live flip here my big fat, fat greek wedding i said drop down to honorable mention unfortunately uh, that's, it's in my honorable mention because number four is ready or not I really like okay. that movie. You know what? I thought about putting She's in a it wedding in my dress list. the entire time. I thought about that putting that in my list, but it didn't have it in the title. And that's why I texted you this morning like, is that the rule? Does it have to be does that like keyword have to be in the title? I and say, ready or not is not. No. Ready or not? I guess you could twist it and say like ready or not to walk down the aisle <laughs> i don't fucking know for the purposes of the game i'm just gonna have you push back and put my big fat greek wedding up and then drop ready or not down to your honorable mentions because i don't okay. think it followed your own rules all right well then I'll, I'll flip it and put four weddings and a funeral at four and my big fat greek wedding at five and then for three what here, do you mean he don't eat no meat i don't know are you gonna throw this one out on me but the man is short kind of for best man so i put i love you man in it which the whole movie is about him finding a best man for his wedding i'll give it to you because i've already made you drop one out but you were stretching it. Love, okay. All right. Um, so what, my number three? Yes, your number. Have You You haven't done your number four yet. I You're, did. Wedding okay. planner, father of the bride. Number okay. three, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. Yeah, that one popped into my head, but I don't care about that movie at all. They're just too fucking hot. That movie literally changed lives, okay? And now it's a TV show. One of the biggest cultural moments from the 2000s was because of that movie. And that movie is fun. It's just a good, it's a good old romp. I like it. I haven't seen it since the mid-2000s when it came out. So maybe it is better than I remember, but it doesn't like, we stand out to me We gotta watch it again. I guess. Dude, Brad Pitt with the shaved head? Whoa. All right, your number two and my number two here. Who's going first? Me first? Yeah, you go first. Marriage Story. That one I thought about, but it's just so sad and I hard know, to watch. But, but, you but know it is what? really, really good. Because the rest of these, they they end up together and it's a happy ending. Sometimes you just need a story about the real life when the real life reality when you love someone and it is just not enough. And that's what that movie is, in my opinion. And I and it's a fantastic film. As much shit as I just gave Laura Dern at the top. Yeah. Great, great movie. Number two for me is Wedding Crashers, which might be a surprise <laughs> yeah. that it didn't make it up to number one, but it, it, it's it's number two for a specific reason. Not that my number one doesn't suffer from this a little bit, but it's not nearly as bad. Wedding Crashers has a, once they get 
kicked away from the family, that whole like last hour is yeah. not nearly as fun as the preceding like hour twenty or whatever it, it is. I I dare say drags a bit. I don't. I if if I turned it on cable, unless it was specifically on the mom, the meatloaf, Will Ferrell scene, it might not even get me to stop. If I turn it on and it's in the middle of the hunting scene or the middle of the yeah. main wedding scene or the middle of the football scene or the middle of the scene where he's on the toilet and she's it, Isla Fisher is like trying to treat his wound yeah. or the middle of one of the dinner scenes, the middle of call me cat, call me kitty. Like there's it's so <laughs> loaded in that part of those parts drag me in right away and I'm, I'm ready to be dragged in. Fun anecdote. My mom hates Will Ferrell. Everything that he's ever made loves, loves him in Wedding Crashers. Is like one of the only Will Ferrell. It's not even a I think Will I've Ferrell heard her movie. S- say Ma the Meatloaf before. She, it's she, I mean, belly laughs every single time without fail. All right, I'll go first for number one, Bridesmaids. Great, great Bridesmaids great. is hilarious, and it also I, I mentioned before I was reading that um, making of Anchorman and like the importance of Anchorman and stuff, and that's a movie that they that that's like the only like female head comedy that they mention in that like frat pack group that timing of movies um and yeah i think it's great i really do love wedding crashers but when maya rudolph gives up on getting to a bathroom and sits down in the middle of the street in a thousand you know ten plus thousand dollar wedding dress twenty thousand whatever it is supposed to be super nice boutique and she just decides well it's happening and she just goes comedy gold Perfect. No notes. It's <laughs> yeah. coming out of me like lava. That didn't make my short list, but I really do love that movie. And what's your number one? Princess Bride. Yeah, now that now that I think about it, because you had just put those people the in my short cup, list. Yeah, yeah, I was like, right as I asked it, I was like, oh, I think she's gonna go Princess Bride, and I have no problem with that. Well, thank you very much. I find it hard to come up. With a more perfectly crafted comedy. I find almost zero flaws with that movie. Yeah, I think that would be in the pantheon of perfect movie up there with like Jurassic Park and... Definitely in my top ten. Yeah, I mean there's... there's a, would like Back to the Future 1 be a perfect movie? I would Maybe. say so. Yeah. Like there's those kind of movies that get up and... Saving Private Ryan is a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. It happens every once in a while. Uh, as far as some honorable mentions, uh, not that not that this one would really be there. I did put Marriage Story in my honorable mentions, uh, but I saw Shotgun Wedding and I was like, you know what? I kind of like that. <laughs> the one where, like, it's Jennifer not for Lopez. Yeah, it's nowhere near getting onto the list, but I was like, hey, I kind of like that movie. It's recent. It's still kind of in my head. So I put that one in there. I did actually like The Week of, the Chris Rock, Adam Sandler one. Mm. Adam Sandler came out with some bad movies at the beginning of his Netflix deal. And everybody wrote it off, and he still comes out with some with some stinkers, especially the ones that he's not in, like the wrong Missy. But sometimes it's when he hits the family stuff because he's a family man now. That's actually when he hits a good movie because I think the week of is pretty good, and I think you're so not invited to my bat mitzvah was really good. That was one of his best like Happy Madison movies in a long time. Yeah, I would agree with that. I did like watching it. Our honorable mentions are so different. I have two more. Okay, go ahead. Corpse Bride, which I would imagine is My in yours. My honorable mention, yeah. Yeah, you love Corpse Bride, so. Oh, how cute you know, are we? You, you love Corpse Bride more than me. Give your little spiel on why you love Corpse Bride so much. Corpse Bride is um, the last great Burton movie. It is got, it's got everything that you love about him, that animation style. It's got the heart. Um, it's got that weird little freaky should I be scared right now element to it. It's set in this like dusty gray Victorian uh, time and, you know, like the confines of marriage and how like choking it is for those kids, you know. But then like you go to the underworld and it's so much fun. It was like one of those kinds of like the first modern, not modern iteration of this, but it became way more present with like Coco and like they do it a lot now. But like with when the animated characters go into the underworld or the the, the dead world and it's just full of life and excitement and, you know, and Emily, her story about pining and wanting to be that girl and she never gets to be that girl really truly fully realize her dream of really just being a bride and being in love and being with someone Um resonated with me for a very long time so i love that movie tim burton's superpower as a filmmaker at least like the really good ones i agree with you it's it's fallen off and it's like hey maybe try a different shtick maybe try something 
something else a little bit. But his superpower for his really good ones is that he's able to craft, no pun intended, craft Lovecraftian-type monsters, but sand the edges down. So they're not quite that scary, but they're still... They're still like frightening, and yes. you, you feel it. But yeah. yeah, there's a hint. There's a hint of darkness. There's a touch of fear, but ultimately, like these these characters really win you over. What's the uh, in Shaun of the Dead when she's trying to teach him how to be zombies, and she's like, "Look at his face. It's vacant, but with a hint of sadness." <laughs> <laughs> um, and then I also put the Graduate, which I know is a pretty big stretch, mm. but the climax of the movie's at a wedding. And he's banging on the window. I'm not counting that. They, she runs away in her wedding dress. No, I don't think that one counts. No. But I, I like that movie. So things that did not make my list. I guess my four of my honorable mentions you either listed or was one of your honorable mentions. So the only other two things I have are Kramer versus Kramer, which... Ugh. I know. Fantastic film, though. It is. Such a good movie. Such a good movie. I actually watched The Graduate and Kramer vs. Kramer for the same class. It was like History of the American City. What city? Misery? It was about... Well, that part of the class was... We (laughs) we didn't watch the movie in the class. We watched the movies outside of the class and then had a classroom discussion about them. And it it had something... You know, this is eight years ago now. But it had something to do with the idea of, like, the people who make up the American city and what that life is actually like for the people who live in there. Mm. So that's why I think he hit both of those movies. But again, I don't have the syllabus in front of me. Yeah. And I don't even, not 100% sure that it was History of the American City, but it definitely was something like that. Interesting. I don't remember the name of all my classes. <laughs> but yeah, I don't have any qualms with your list. We Wait, hold on. I still have one more. Oh, you got another honorable mention? Yeah. Scenes from a marriage. A couple years ago, HBO, uh, Jessica Chastain and... That one's technically Oscar a series, Isaac. right? Yeah, it's a technically a series, and obviously that's why I didn't make my list list. But you know, scenes from marriage, scenes from marriage and marriage story, they don't communicate the same thing, but they live in the same misery, USA, whatever city that fucking weird ass teacher Kramer is trying to teach you about. Too, yeah, yeah, so obviously I have an affinity for those kinds of movies. Also, very very um, promising though that we had a lot of the same picks, and maybe just because. You know, we've been together this long and we like a lot of the same content, but honestly, really cute and kind of heartwarming. That's really, look at us. That is so fun. I had fun doing this podcast. I had fun celebrating our anniversary last night at dinner, and I hope everybody listening had fun as well. We'll be back next week for some more fun. Right, Jen? Right, Mark. All right. Thanks for listening, everybody. is made possible by people who subscribe to podcasts and viewers like you.